My kids love ice cream. One day as they were anticipating on a hot summer day which flavor to get, they narrowed it down to two flavors, mint chocolate chip and cookie dough. As they were thinking about this, a kid walked by with Superman ice cream and they hadn't thought of that one, so they all screamed, Superman! That was the flavor they landed on. It was interesting to see that they had options, but a new option was considered that they had not anticipated before. In this episode of Groundwork, we will see Joseph encounter an option from God that he had not anticipated before with the situation of the virgin birth. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in part four of our five-part series where we are awaiting the glorious arrival of our Messiah. And in the first episode, we talked about how the Magi's presence was blessed with God's grace and, and they were looking for the kingdom. And they came to understand that they're also included. And in episode two, we looked at the birth of John the Baptist and how he prepared the way for Jesus. Episode three, uh, the previous episode, we looked at the uh, angel Gabriel's message to Mary that she was going to become the mother of the Messiah. The next episode is our Christmas episode. We're going to look at Luke 2. But today, uh, we wanted to go back to principally to Matthew and to dig into another passage where the angel Gabriel is uh, got an important assignment. Well, we are waiting for Jesus in this season of Advent, and uh, Matthew wanted his readers to understand that this was the Messiah that mm. they've been waiting for, the one they've been prophesied about for centuries, and we see the angel Gabriel being dispatched again. This is the third time in a couple of, we've seen him in Matthew, we've seen him in Luke. This is the third time that he's been dispatched to, this time, Joseph, who is the, I guess, stepfather of Jesus. He could be called stepfather of Jesus, right? Yeah. Matthew begins, of course, with the family tree, the genealogy of Jesus, and the whole genealogy uh, says that so-and-so was the father of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, until you get to the end. And then it says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, yep. but not the father of Jesus, uh, because this is the miracle child of the incarnation. So he's Mary's husband, Jesus' earthly father or stepfather, but not the biological father. We're told Joseph is a righteous man. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. He's a good man, but he's faced with a situation when Mary, his fiance, becomes pregnant and he knows it's not because of him. So as we look at this passage, we want to see what exactly happens with this story. So in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So, Scott, there are scholars who say that there are three aspects to the Jewish marriage. The first step is that parents must agree on the terms mm -hmm. and the arrangements of it. And the second is that they become betrothed, which is like our 
a modern day engagement right. where they're promised to each other. And then the third is the couples moving together after they are married. So when Joseph receives this message from the angel, it is between step two and step three. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem because she's pregnant and if he's not the father. It could look like a scandal to the regular person. And as we said in the previous episode, Mary must have thought this, too. Uh, After Gabriel told her she was going to conceive a miracle child, she surely wondered, as we said, would Joseph buy this story about, oh, I saw an angel. Oh, really? Maybe Joseph would believe Mary, but would everybody else in Nazareth? It probably had to be a scandal. And, and this, you know, sort of reminds us of what we also talked about, Daryl, in the previous episode. And that is when God taps you for something special, it never makes your life easier. <laughs> it always complicates things. And it surely did for Joseph. But he's a righteous man. And that's very important. And in the next part of this program, we're going to loop back to this. It's important for Matthew's theme to a Jewish reading audience to peg Joseph as righteous. Joseph never speaks in the Bible, not here in Matthew and not in Luke. Never says a word. He speaks through his actions, and he had always spoken through his actions. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a tzaddik, as they would say in in, in Judaism, uh, which is whatever we wanted to be, righteous. And the only righteous thing to do here is divorce her. So because he's righteous and because the scripture says he's a man who follows and obeys the law, there's a law about that where if you're caught in adultery in Leviticus 20, Mm. it says that you should be stoned to death, you Mm. and the person you committed it with. He doesn't know who the other person is. This is before he gets the dream that is the message from the angel. So he's like, I don't know where the guy is, but I love her and I don't want to stone her. So I'm going to find a way to gently put her away quietly so that no shame can be brought on her or on us or on anyone else. And that actually talks through like how the heart of God is because Mm. God's heart for Israel is one that is committed and betrothed, but yet suffers because Israel is unfaithful and cannot keep his commands in the law. And so the God that we serve is actually being portrayed in a small way in the way Joseph lives. Israel really was sinful uh, and God loved her anyway. Joseph only thinks Mary is sinful, but he loves her anyway until the matter becomes cleared up for him. So you're right. Joseph is kind of a metaphor for God here, that God, despite disappointment, loves. We see that in Hosea, right, where where, uh, the prophet Hosea marries a bad woman, and that becomes a metaphor for God and Israel. And yet even though God says in Hosea 11, oh, I've had it with you people, then he kind of takes a deep breath and says, but I can't give you up. Right. I'm your I'm your dad. I'm your father, and I'm not going to give you up. And that's sort of what Joseph does here. But of course, things are to be clarified for him. So let's say that by the time Joseph has his dream of the angel, Mary's already told him the story, and he maybe didn't buy it. Obviously, if he had bought the story, he wouldn't have thought to divorce her. He would have said, "Oh my, that's really amazing, Mary." Well, okay. Well, we'll just I guess we're being called to move. He didn't buy it. He didn't believe it. So guess what? Joseph gets the next angel visit to confirm it. It's really interesting that God will come into a situation and for some who think that it might become easier, it will become complicated. But God is still looking for the obedient and faithful response to that. And that is what we're called to. And even though this situation could seem like a dilemma to God, it is not a dilemma to God because he has found a solution through this very announcement. He's going to redeem the world. When we come up next, we're going to talk about the surprising turn of events that happened when the angel showed up. So stay tuned. 
What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this episode where we're in Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew is a very, very brief account of the birth of Jesus, just about seven, eight verses, really, starting in Matthew 1.18. And we have just seen, Daryl, that uh, Joseph didn't believe Mary's story. Uh, he believed she had been unfaithful to him. And the only righteous thing left for him to do was to divorce her. And he could have done it harshly. He even could have called for her death, as you pointed out in the previous segment, Daryl. But he decides to do it lovingly and quietly. But for sure, he wants to put some daylight between himself and this scandal. And so an angel comes to him, same angel probably, came to Mary and says, it's not a scandal. She's telling you the truth. Stay with her and name the boy Jesus. And it's interesting that God has been dispatching angels left and right to send the priority mail messages because he doesn't want them to mess these messages up. This is a very important message that he needs to know. And earlier we talked about in the episode prior to this, how the angel Gabriel came to talk to Zechariah and Elizabeth and then Mary. And in this situation, we see in this passage, picking up at verse 20, what the angel says to him. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that is quite astonishing mm. based on what Joseph could have been feeling in this moment. You love her. You might be sad. You might be even shocked or grieving. You might also be relieved to know, oh, it's not a scandal. It's not I've been cheated on. It is actually a miracle. All of the above, probably. Yeah, and I imagine that the next day Joseph uh, visited Mary and maybe kind of looked down at his feet. He said, sorry, I didn't believe you. Uh, you were telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> you know, because he had to kind of eat crow here. He didn't believe her. Uh, and now uh, it turns out, oh, it really is of the Holy Spirit, just like you said, Mary. It is a miracle, child. You didn't do anything wrong. We said a minute ago, though, uh, Daryl, that it's interesting. Joseph never speaks, actually, in the Bible. His actions speak. But he's a righteous man. This is a key theme uh, in Matthew's gospel. In fact, Daryl, we did a series on groundwork not long ago on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we pointed out there that one of the big things Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he redefines righteousness. Yeah. The Pharisees had made it about all external obligations and laws. So Jesus goes through the Ten Commandments and he deepens them. Jesus reveals a new righteousness. And Joseph is showcase number one. He did the righteous thing in wanting to divorce her, but now God says there's a higher righteousness, Joseph. Stay with her. So Joseph is the first person in Matthew, but not the last, who ends up having righteousness redefined for him by the one called Jesus. Option A is 
follow the righteousness that's in the law and that you should do. It's a good thing. Option B is to totally disregard the law and do whatever you want. But option C is where Christ comes mm. in and redefines what righteousness really is. It's not by the externals. It's not by the achievements, but it's by the grace that is given to one to say yes to the Lord's will. And that's exactly what happens with Joseph. This is an option he did not see coming. And it was really powerful to see that God is not bound by whatever polaric options we have in our limited minds. That was actually the benefit of what will come out of it. Jesus being the one who will save us from our sins. Exactly. Jesus, the uh, Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua that we translate Joshua, and both of them means, you know, God saves. So salvation, Daryl, is built right into the name of Jesus. He He is named the saving one, basically, which means that he is the one that has long been promised. Somebody had to save the people from their sins. And when God tells Joseph, and he had already told Mary, too, we saw in Luke 1, name him Yeshua, Jesus, the saving one. We know this is the one that's going to save the world. And so you you also picked up Joshua, um, which is the Lord's salvation of the Lord. That's what his name means. And so if you look at the Old Testament through a reform perspective, you mm-hmm. will see that God is doing a type and shadow effect right. in the Old Testament. So Joshua is the physical deliverer who saves Israel's people from the Amalekites, the Perizzites, the Amorites and all the ites. And here is what Jesus is doing on a heavenly scale for the sins of the people, because we realize that. The big baddies are not the ites out there, not the Hitlers, not the Mussolinis, but the bad guy is us. We're the ones that carry the sins. We're the ones that have no way of salvation without Jesus' intervention. So Jesus is the new option for salvation permanently in the heart of people. And he has been offered here today. As the cartoon character Pogo once said, we have met the enemy and he is us. It's not somebody else that needs saving. It's me. It's you. It's all of us. He will save his people from their sins. Not just he'll save the bad people. (laughs) No, uh, Gabriel told uh, Joseph he will save his people, all the people. Anybody who gets saved is going to get saved this way. And the great thing, Daryl, and indeed you just said, Joshua was a forming a shadow, a preview, a prototype for the ultimate Savior who would come. And that's all true, Daryl, because this is the fulfillment of a plan, right? God had a plan all the way back to the Garden of Eden when he said, somebody's going to come to crush the serpent's head, the one who led Adam and Eve into sin. Somebody will come who will take care of that. And now that somebody has come in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is the best gift that God could give in any situation. Forget the things that are under the tree. Hmm. It's about Jesus being the ultimate gift. He knows that we could not get out from under our own sins or the punishment of it. And to put that gift that is so tremendous in little Bethlehem is the irony of this passage where God is bringing that great gift to a small place to start on a small scale. And Jesus is the one who is going to be the one who saves us. And the message is beautiful. It is the one that God uses to redeem the hope of the world, Scott. Exactly. And as you just said, so few people know at this point, right? Joseph and Mary know that something big is up, though even they maybe couldn't fully conceive it. Zachariah and Elizabeth know that their son is going to prepare the way. So there's just a handful of people who know the truth. Maybe nobody in Nazareth believed Joseph and Mary's story, if they even told them. 
Uh, maybe they all assumed this was just a bad thing. But it wasn't a bad thing. It was the best thing ever. And as we also said in the previous episode, and this becomes such a theme in Advent, right, Daryl? God has always taken the, the low road. He's always taken the, the, the quiet way, the surprising way. As a, a famous preacher once said, you know, you know, while all the world was focused on the mighty Roman Empire, God snuck down the back staircase of history and dropped a baby into a manger and said, there now, <laughs> this is the salvation of the world. But as we wrap up this episode, we want to turn uh, to uh, sort of Matthew's larger point in writing his whole gospel and some practical application of all this for our own lives today in Advent. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. Uh, and Daryl, we've been looking at in this uh, fourth episode of our five-part Advent Christmas series, Joseph. Uh, the character who we said never speaks, uh, he's only in Matthew and Luke. Uh, Joseph is never mentioned in Mark or John, I don't think. He's a righteous man whose righteousness was redefined, we just said. So let's go back uh, to Matthew 1 uh, and remind ourselves of what happens in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So Matthew, who wrote this gospel, he's literally trying to make sure that everyone knows this is the Messiah that has been prophesied about. This is the one we've been waiting for. And he refers back to this passage where it says God with us in Old Testament. Exactly. Hey, one little thing here, though, Daryl. I've often, when I've read this, they will call him Emmanuel, and he named the name Jesus. I, I always thought, you know, it's sort of like a story, like you, know, you can imagine that a grandmother talking to her granddaughter, and, and her granddaughter is pregnant. And the grandmother says to her granddaughter, now, dear, you know, I would really love it if you could name your child after his grandfather, Cornelius. And the granddaughter says, yes, Grandma, I will do that. And then you read in the story, and seven months later, she gave birth to a child, and she named him George. It's like, wait a minute. You said you were going to name him Cornelius, and you named him George? Here, they'll call him Emmanuel. So he named him Jesus. It's like, well, which is it? Emmanuel, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Emmanuel? Well, uh, as you said, Daryl, it turns out they both mean the same thing. Jesus, the saving one, and he saves us because he is God with us. And uh, Matthew says that fulfilled a prophecy. 
Yeah, the prophecy actually came from Isaiah chapter 7, 14, where it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So Matthew's kind of winking at his audience here. He's like, this is that virgin. This is that son. And this is the one who's going to bring us the salvation that we're looking for. And it's really powerful to see that Matthew is closing gaps and tying it all together so that the people reading can know this is it. Don't miss it. Matthew is always quoting the Old Testament, alluding to it, because uh, as we've said, Matthew wrote for a Jewish reading audience, people who knew their Bible. And so he knew he could do these quotes, or he could even just refer to a, a Bible passage without spelling it out, and his readers would get it. They'd know, oh yeah, that's Isaiah. Oh yeah, that's Jeremiah. Oh yeah, that happened when David was king. So Matthew was able to capitalize on the scripture knowledge of his readers. And in this case, going back to that word that he will be Emmanuel, God with us. What an amazing promise that is, God with us. In fact, Matthew was a very good writer, and he included what in literary terms is called some inclusios, mm-hmm. um, which we could also call bookends. So he starts his gospel with something, and then he ends with the same thing. So in this case, he starts with Emmanuel, chapter 1, God with us. And then he concludes in the last chapter, 28, with Jesus in the Great Commission, surely I am with you. So we got Emmanuel in Matthew 1, we got Emmanuel in Matthew 28, and the Emmanuel of Jesus is never going to go away. He's always going to be with us. And that is a comforting thing for those who the Advent season may not be a season where they're rejoicing. Maybe they lost loved ones. Mm. Maybe they are not very happy. Some of them call it blue Christmas when people are sad, when people are homeless, when people have situations that are complicated. It's very comforting to know that Matthew's reminding us that God is with us in the mountains high and in the valleys low and in all places in between. God is with us. And as we think about like practical application for this section, I was wondering what we could do as believers today to prepare for his second coming. And one of the first things we can do is begin spreading that good news to everyone, Scott. Exactly. And one way to do that, so there's the famous line from St. Francis of Assisi, I think it was, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, right? I think one of the things the lesson of Emmanuel teaches us, Daryl, is that sometimes we represent Christ and we preach the gospel by being present. Uh Jesus says, I was in prison and you visited me. So we go to the prisons and we are with them. We are God's presence. We are God with them, right? We go to the hospital to visit the sick. We go to the funeral home to visit the grieving. We we go to the, the widow's house to visit the lonely. All of that is our participating through the Holy Spirit in this Emmanuel idea. So we preach the gospel by being with people in the sad and difficult situations of their lives. I think Joseph models that beautifully Mm. because he never says a word in the scriptures. He actually does what God commands him to do. And he is present with Mary. He's present as a family and as a father. And I think that model is very beautiful. And as far as us, we are relieved because we don't always have to think of what we need to say or we don't have to have eloquent speeches in our back pockets. We just need to go sit with people and we need to be fully present with people. And I think the second thing we can do, Scott, is to remind ourselves that even though Jesus promised this would be a trouble-filled world, Mm. that we're not left to our own devices because the Holy Spirit is with us. 
Uh, we said earlier in this episode and in the previous one, when God comes into your life, things get more complicated, not less so. And Jesus said, too, you follow me, you're going to get persecuted. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But I've overcome the world, and I am with you. And that's a beautiful thing. And then, of course, ultimately, we know that because Jesus' name means salvation, because Jesus' name means God with us, the final enemy, the great enemy, death, also no longer has the last word. It's a beautiful thing to know that death does not have a final say. Most people thought that death was the period, the end, the amen, but it actually is a comma because there are things Mm. that are coming after death that God has promised to those because he is the resurrection and the life. So even in death or life, we belong to him. That's the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer first. What is your only comfort in life and death? That you belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Exactly, in life and in death, and that is uh, the great, great promise. And that's the God we serve. God never made the creation just to sort of tick down on its own and walk away. We're not deists. We believe that God has remained intimately involved with us. He hasn't fallen asleep at the switch, Daryl. He is with us. He is attentive. He listens to our prayers. And now by the Holy Spirit, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God is with us and with all. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study the story of Jesus' birth and celebrate what it means for us. Connect with us now at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.